Good morning, everyone. Brenda mentioned in her uh, little testimony there that she has a habit, the habit of doing devotions. She's worked on it for over 40 days, and it's now ingrained. And, uh, you know, she sent me a text uh, maybe a week ago, a week and a half ago, at about 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, just saying that she was just having a quiet time with God and how much she appreciated our church and appreciated me as her pastor, but uh, just especially appreciated uh, this quiet time with God. And so I asked her if she would be willing to do a little testimony talking about her own practice, or her own habit of walking with God. If you haven't discovered this yet, you're going to be reminded of it again today. And that is that being a disciple means that you and I have certain disciplines. To be a disciple means that you follow the teachings or the disciplines that have been given by Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be a disciple. It means that we follow the teachings of Jesus Christ, that we are careful to do what God's word tells us to do. Now, I want to tell you this. This definitely is a habit that we need to establish. We need to get in the habit of doing what God tells us to do, or else you will discover that your Christian life is one defeat after the other, one frustration after the other. I want to show you this morning how you can live the Christian life and feel that you've actually got momentum, that you're actually moving forward, that you're actually growing. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to establish these disciplines, or if you want to call it, a habit. Scientists, neurologists, have have discovered that any kind of action that is repeated, any words that are repeated, actually would have a a physical change, would create a physical change on your brain. I mean, we're not going to, we haven't got the time to get into the science of this, but I would encourage you, if you want, to, to research this for yourself. Basically, what they're saying is that you create uh, physical grooves in your brain when you repeat the same thing over and over again. So when you practice a skill or learn an instrument or learn a sport, um, uh, when you memorize scripture verses, what's, ha- what's actually happening is that it is creating a physical change in your brain. Little trenches are carved into your brain tissue. Now, this is another reason why it's hard to break a bad habit. This is why we, sometimes you'll hear someone say you're stuck in a rut. Well, you are literally stuck in a rut because your brain is processing the repetitions of your day-to-day living and is making it part of who you are. Now, let the Spirit of God speak to your heart this morning. We at Cross Church do not try to help you lose your bad habits. I'm not interested in talking to you about your bad habits. What I am interested in doing, however, is talking to you about the habits that God wants you to have. I said it last week, I'm going to say it again. The way for you to overcome your bad habits or overcome the things in your life that are defeating you is for you to learn the habits that will transform your life. This is why we said last week, Exercise is good for you, but there's something far, far better. And that's developing the spiritual exercises that will transform your life. And so rather than condemning or judging, and remember, Jesus said clearly that he did not come to condemn or to judge. Rather than condemning and judging you for your behaviors, I mean, you're probably already doing that yourself. 
What I want to do is I want to encourage you and I want to share with you the gospel, the good news. And the good news is this, is that when you know the truth and when you do what it says, it transforms you. The bad habits that you have are then replaced with new habits. Literally, what you're doing is you're getting out of a bad rut and you're creating brand new trenches for brand new habits, brand new activities, and a brand new way of thinking. It's literally transformational. What the Bible has known for, hundred, for thousands of years, scientists are just starting to discover it now. So this morning, I've got good news for you. You can have a successful life. You can overcome your bad habits. But here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to establish some new habits. And I'll promise you this, that when you establish these new habits, these new habits will overcome, overwhelm your old habits. Now, um, neurologists have discovered that through repeated, uh, repeated thoughts become not just... Uh, brain grooves, but they, they become brand new deeds, a new way of living, a new way of operating. These repeated deeds become concrete routines in your life. You've heard me say it before that it takes somewhere between 20 and 40 days to establish a new habit. What's happening in the course of those 40 days is something that is actually neurological. You are creating new, new ditches, if you will, new trenches in your brain that help you get onto a brand new track. So as you change your, your routines, you change your deeds, guess what happens? You begin to experience the abundant life that Jesus Christ promises us. Some people say, you know, I tried Christianity once, I prayed, and nothing happened. Well, there's a reason why nothing happened. It's because you haven't changed your life yet. The abundant life that Jesus promises us comes from a change in your lifestyle, a change in your thinking, a change in the way you're operating. I've heard people say to me, you know, I've tried Christianity, you know, and it just, I don't see the point in it. I don't see that it works. Here's what I'm saying to you today. Give God a chance. Try to establish some new habits and then watch what happens. Now, I got to tell you this. This, these discoveries by the neurologists, the neuroscientists, uh, can also uh, actually shows to us how negative things happen to us and how we establish these bad habits. So if you're in the habit of constantly worrying or constantly um, being fearful or constantly fighting or constantly going to, to do the bad things you know you shouldn't do or going to the old vices, you form ruts in your brain that, that make you literally stuck in a rut. Christianity is all about freeing you from those ruts. It's all about helping you live the life that God wants you to live. Now, if anybody here today is under the idea or the impression that Christianity is all about a list of rules and do's and don'ts, what you need to understand is that the the, the scriptures, the word of God, is actually given to us by God so that we would have our best life ever. It's not to reign in your parade or to make life miserable for you. Rather, it's the reverse. It's to make life wonderful for you. So this first habit that we're discussing today, and it is the first most important habit, I'm going to tell you this. This habit is a a matter of life and death for you spiritually. If you don't practice this habit, then your Christianity will go nowhere. And I'm guessing that it wouldn't be long before you have lost faith and perhaps even turn your back on God. And I'll explain to you why that happens in just a moment. But what I want to do today is I want us to help us understand 
how to do this habit and to examine how that habit transforms us and helps us. Now, what you and I need to understand about Christianity is that this is not just a religion that we practice. Because some people have the idea that, you know, we come to church, we be kind to God for an hour every Sunday, a few benefits. Uh, someone said when they come to church, they get a rock concert and they get a, a word to encourage them and then we get a free cup of coffee. It's just a great place to be. It's far more than this, folks. We're talking about a relationship with God. And you've heard me say that so many times. In fact, you've heard me say that the most important thing in life your, are your relationships, your relationship to one another and your relationship to God. Now, this idea of having a relationship with God, this is not just a New Testament idea. Some people think it's, you know, this is just something that it's new. God, you know, tried so many ways in the Old Testament to try to get his people to have a relationship with him, but it didn't work. And so then he tried something new in the New Testament. Listen, I'm going to tell you, from the beginning of the scriptures, from the book of Genesis, we see godly men and women establishing a relationship with God. In fact, it's literally called walking with God. We see this in the very first chapters of the book of Genesis. And in case you don't know what Genesis is, it's the first book in the Bible. We see the man Enoch who walked with God, and then the Bible says he was no more. What happened there? Well, we don't know exactly, but we know this, is that he walked this earth, and on this earth he had such a close relationship with God that eventually he was taken away by God. We see it with Noah. Noah chapter, or Genesis chapter 6, we discover Noah has a relationship with God. It says he walked with God. The same thing of Abraham. He walked with God. David was called a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he walked with God. He knew God. God was his friend. And God could call Abraham his friend. And God could call David his friend. And God could call Noah his friend. And we see this throughout the Old Testament. People who were called godly people were people who walked with God. They knew God. They had a relationship with God. And we come to the New Testament, and we discover that, in fact, Jesus also walked with God. Mark chapter 1, the beginning of the gospel. Mark records Jesus' activity, and it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now you'd say, well, you know, Jesus was, you know, he's God. I mean, did he need to pray? What you need to understand is this, is that Jesus had relationship with his father. In fact, if you look at all of the gospels, you will discover the common thread. And you really see it in the book of Luke. If you haven't read the book of Luke, I would recommend that you get that book and you, and you read it with the eye to see Jesus' relationship with the father. Jesus has this amazing relationship with the Father. He's constantly getting away to a, a solitary place, a quiet place where he can connect with God. And every time that Jesus gets away to be with the Father, he discovers something more about the will of his Father. So that when he's done praying with God, he says, okay, let's go do this or let's go do that. Let's go do the other thing. We discover that Jesus had this amazing relationship with the Father. In fact, Jesus says this. He says, he says, my meat, my food, my drink is to do the will of my Father. In another place, he says, I need to be about my Father's business. This was his practice from boyhood. Remember his parents brought Jesus as a young boy to town, and they went to the, one of the festivals, 
And uh, Mary and Joseph are on their way home, and they realize, hey, what happened to Jesus? He's not with us. So they go, as typical parents do, retrace their tracks, and lo and behold, they discover him where? In the temple. What's he doing? He's talking to the scribes, talking to the teachers of the law. They're amazed at what Jesus has got to say as just a young boy. When asked, Jesus, what are you doing here? Why, why, why would you scare us like this? And Jesus says, what? Didn't you know I've got to be in my father's house? This is where I belong. So from, from the very early age, we see Jesus walking with the Father, walking with God. And at the end of his, of his time, near the end of his time on earth, we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying. And what is his prayer? He prays, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus knows the mind of the Father, and he does what the Father wants him to do. So this morning, I'm saying this to you because some of you will say, well, I'm nowhere near in Jesus' league or Noah's league or Abraham's league, but here's what you need to know. God wants you to be. God wants you to have a walk with him. He wants you to have a relationship with him. He wants you to experience and know the joy of hearing his voice and leading you day by day. Now, some people come to church and this is about the only time you ever do any praying, and, it's, and you're not even doing the praying. I'm doing the praying, or Andrew's doing the praying, or Mark, someone else is doing the praying. You sing a few songs to Jesus. You read a verse on the overhead, and that's basically about all of your Christian activity. But God's calling you to far more than that. We're not talking about just a once-a-week kind of Christianity. You remember me saying this before. We're talking about a Christianity that is daily. We're talking about the dailiness of this Christianity. Another word for it is relationship. That's what God wants with you. He wants for you. Now, I've been in the ministry for 30 years. This is my 30th year this year. And I've been a, a follower of Christ for over 40 years. And here's what I've discovered. This, in fact, is the most critical of all habits, this daily walk with God. You show me somebody who's struggling in their faith. You show me somebody who doesn't believe. You show me somebody who, um, who's feeling defeated and doing things that you ought not to do or going back to old habits, and I'm going to show you somebody who's not practicing this habit. Again, I'm not condemning, I'm not judging, I'm helping you understand, I'm helping you see why things are the way they are in your life. So God's called you and me to a daily walk with him. The uh, Discipleship Journal did a survey uh, of a number of Christians, and uh, the question is, the question was this, uh, when are temptations most potent or most powerful? When are, they, when are they most difficult for you to control or to overcome? And a full 81% of the respondents said this. Temptations were most potent, most powerful, when they had neglected their time with God. Interesting. A full 81% recognized that when they were not walking with God, that was the time that they were the most susceptible to falling into temptation. Now, can I just say this to you? We are, we are a community of believers. And within this community of believers, there are families. There are couples. Couples who have children, some not, haven't got children yet, whatever. 
What we have in this community of believers is a built-in accountability where we can encourage each other and remind each other to do our devotions. Can I just say this to you, husbands and wives? Maybe the most important thing you're going to do for your spouse is to remind your spouse, hey, make sure that you read your Bible and pray today. Now, listen, this could easily degenerate into um, nagging. This is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a loving reminder, hey, you need to do your devotions. I first discovered the power of this when I was a youth pastor. Uh, Some of you have been through teenage years, um, and so you know that teenage years are probably the most difficult time of your life. Major hormonal changes taking place, and one day you've got friends, the next day you've got no friends, and everybody hates you, and you are going to eat some worms. That kind of thing, right? So as a youth pastor who had very little training in the area of counseling, I would get these kids saying, you know, pastor, i got to meet with you. It's critical. It's urgent. I'm going to die if you don't talk to me. And so my, so, he, so I mean, I was booked up talking to the kids and trying to help them sort out their problems. And then one day, as I was praying and reading my Bible and hearing God speak to my heart, I felt God saying, Alan, why don't you suggest the same prescription for those kids that you're supposed to be pastoring. And so every time a kid would come to me and say, Pastor, i got a problem, I gotta, I'm going to die. I would say, well, look, before you die and before you, know, you slit your wrist or anything else, here's what you need to do. You need to get alone with God. I'll ask, did you do your devotions today? And they'll say, well, not yet. But I said, look it, you're right here in the church. Why don't you just go to a quiet corner? Here's the Bible. Read this bit of scripture verse. Pray and ask God for leading and guidance in your life. Every single time, without fail, the kid would come back to me, smile on his face. He feels good. He's connected with God. The world is good. He's got friends again. She's got friends again. And uh, she doesn't want to now slit her wrist. She wants to go to the mission field <laughs> and make a difference for the world. Now, listen, it actually became comical to me because I recognized. I recognize the power of walking with God. Some of you have got problems in your marriage. Some of you have got problems in your family. Some have got problems at work. Here's my advice to you before you do anything, before you quit your job or get a divorce or, or do anything, get alone with God and pray. Get alone following the example of Jesus Christ and learn what it means to hear the voice of God. I'm going to tell you this. God wants to speak to you. Now listen. Like any relationship, it flourishes or dies based on the amount of time you spend with that person. If you've got marital problems, there's a good chance that it's been a long time since you have enjoyed any kind of conversation or intimacy with the person that you're married to. I I tell everybody who comes to me for counseling that the number one problem, or actually the number three problem, is actually communication. And those who have come to me for counseling, you'll remember the, the talk on that. Here's what I discovered, is that when a couple comes to me after they've gotten married and, and they need counseling, it's because he's not talking or she's not talking or he, they're not communicating, she's not communicating, and their relationship is, is on the verge of falling apart. Guess what? Same thing with your walk with God. You have to spend time 
in a daily communication and a daily dialogue with God. You know what the word dialogue, where that word comes from? It actually comes from the Greek. Dia meaning via, to, and logia, speech, words. Two people coming together to talk. Now guys, can I just remind you of this? This dialogue thing that we're talking about, this communication, means that you actually have to talk to. It's a known fact that women talk more than men. They do, most, most for the most part. I, I might be an exception to that rule. <laughs> but it's a, it's, it, we pretty much know that. Guys have a hard time expressing and sharing their feelings, and they don't really say what's in their hearts. Here, guys, I'm going to let you in a little secret here. The way to enjoy intimacy with your wife, the way to enjoy a good relationship with your wife, is by learning how to talk. And if you don't know how to talk, when you get in the car, talk to yourself. And you will learn the fine art of communication. Well, guess what? Same thing goes with your relationship to God. You need to learn to pour out your heart to God, to tell God what's in your heart, what you're thinking, and what you're feeling. The problem is with so many of us is that the cares and the concerns of this life totally drown out our relationships, and particularly the most important one of all, our relationship to God. Now, can I just say this? Getting ready for work in the morning and having a bit of chit-chat with your spouse is not real communication. One of the things that Nicholas used to do when I was little, if he wanted to communicate something with me, is he would repeat the same thing over and 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 over again. And if he still wasn't getting my attention, then he would tug on me. Dad, 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 dad. And if I was still not paying attention, he would actually come over me, grab hold of my face, and turn my jaw so that my eyes were looking into his eyes. That's why he was only four or five years old. Bright kid. And he's not in the room right now, so I can say this. Don't tattle on me. He looked me in the eyes, and he said, Dad. And now we've got eye-to-eye contact And then he would share with me whatever it is that was on his little heart, anything that he wanted me to to know. Because he knew that if I was looking at a magazine, if I was busy writing, if I had a book in my hand, or if if, if, I was watching something on TV, watching the news, he knew that the best way to really connect with my heart is eye-to-eye contact. Now listen to me. Let the Spirit of God speak to your heart because that's exactly what this habit is all about. It's all about eye-to-eye contact with the heart of God, with God where you are taking time undistracted by anything else to hear what God has to say to your heart. I can guarantee you this. If you give God the time, you're willing to listen to what God has to say, this is a money-back guarantee. God will speak to you. It It won't be an audible voice, necessarily, but God will speak to you. He will lead you. Even as he did with all the examples from the Old Testament through to the New Testament. Do you know why we, why we go on honeymoon, on a honeymoon when we get married? It's because it's a time to establish new grooves, new habits, to reprogram your brain from the single, from the, the single man or single woman to now a married couple. When Gloria and I got married, we made sure we went on a honeymoon. And it's one of, the th- one of the best things that ever, ever happened to us. We look back at, at, at that honeymoon as, as golden. And the reason is, is because it was during that time on honeymoon that we established new habits as a couple. 
It was no longer two single people living together. It was two people becoming one, establishing new habits. That's why we have a honeymoon. And so here's what I discovered almost, almost on the, the first day that it was Mr. and Mrs. Alan Duncalf. I discovered that my schedule is very different from my wife's schedule. She does things different than I do. And so what I had to discover or had to learn is how we could both do what we needed to do and still maintain harmony and get along. And so what happened is Gloria did her own thing. She got ready in her own time. I learned to get up first, have a quick shower, and get out of the room so that she could be alone and and get ready and read her Bible. And I went to my own quiet little place, and I read my Bible and prayed and did my devotions. And we established new habits, the habits that still mark our marriage 24 years later. That's what a honeymoon is for. In the Old Testament, we discovered that when a, when a, a young man got married, if he was in the military, he was actually given a year off. Why is that, do you think? It was to establish new habits so that that couple could become one. Now let the Spirit of God speak to your heart again. Because the metaphor that God uses to describe our relationship to him is the marriage. The marriage is a metaphor for our relationship with God. Now listen to this. God wants you and I to establish habits where we learn to walk with him, we get to learn to know him and learn to hear his voice and learn to speak to him and share what's on our hearts. This is the most critical habit of all. You show me somebody who's cold in their faith, you show me somebody who says God doesn't speak, and I'm going to show you somebody who does not have the habit of walking with God on a daily basis. Walking with God is critical if you're going to survive in your faith. And I know some people are saying, you know, I, you know, I don't really feel like it. I don't really know God. I don't really like, feel connected to him. I don't feel anything. Okay, guess what? Getting to know God and getting to hear, learning how to hear his voice, learning how to walk with him, takes time. It's a process. You don't meet a stranger and all of a sudden feel like your best friend. You've known each other for years. That very rarely, if ever, happens. So it is with God. It's something that needs to be learned. It's something that needs to be developed. And so we have this established, we establish this habit of walking with God. Let's look at this passage of Scripture again. Because here's what we discover. When we look at at the verses around this verse, we discover that in verse 32, that Jesus, the night before he gets away to pray, has got this incredible ministry happening. It says in verse 32 to uh, verse 34 that there are people who are sick and demon-possessed and, and with diseases, and Jesus healed everybody, and he's teaching everybody, and people are responding to his ministry, and demons came, are cast out, and sick people are made well, and lame people were walking. It was just amazing. I mean, it was amazing. We're talking about thousands of people. And as the word spread, more and more people were coming because they wanted to just get a piece of Jesus. Then the next morning, while everybody's sleeping off the night before, Jesus gets away to be with God, to talk to his father, to connect with his father, to have a conversation with his father. And as he's finishing up his praying and communicating with his father, we read in the verses after this that the disciples found him. So Simon and his companions went to look for him, verse 37. And when they found him, they explained, what are you doing? 
What are you doing here? Everyone's looking for you. That's what it says in verse 37. Jesus, come on. We've got some momentum happening here. Things are, things are really happening. I mean, Jesus, if you're going to set up for yourself your kingdom on this earth, I mean, we've got some great momentum happening. There's, there, there's thousands here. We could set up our new ministry, the ministry to the Middle East, the international, the worldwide ministry to the world. Uh, we could have a TV studio, Jesus. We could have a radio ministry, and our, we could be writing books and doing DVDs. Jesus, this is, this is a dream come true. This is an opportunity we cannot miss. And Jesus shocks them. And he says in verse 38, let's go somewhere else. Let's go somewhere else. Let's go to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. After all, that is why I came. Now the disciples are just absolutely shocked at this. Because if Jesus is going to set up his ministry on earth, now's the time. We've got momentum. We've got some mojo happening here, Jesus. Get people signed up. Get them on the mailing list. We could build a massive cathedral. We could, there's so much we can do, Jesus. Okay, you just hear the treasure of thinking, man, the ka-ching. We got money here. We got people who will pay for this stuff. I mean, we can buy a jet and travel around the whole world. Jesus says, no, that's not what we're going to do. Now, I'm going to share with you a critical truth that you've got to get if you're going to understand this walk with God. Because not everything that makes sense to us, not everything that we think we should do, not everything that we think is the right thing to do is the right thing to do. We don't understand why God works the way he works, why he does the things he does, and why he asks us to do what he asks us to do. But we do know this, that God is sovereign, he knows what he's doing, and he's right every time. Many of us make mistakes. We step out and do things. Later, we look back on it, and we say, you know what? It seemed like the right thing to do, but it's a mess. Now, the reason it's a mess and the reason it didn't work out right is because you got ahead of God. You didn't do what God wanted you to do. The disciples, you see, they didn't understand God's plan. They didn't understand that it was going to be their job to go and plant churches. It was going to be their job to go and make disciples. That wasn't what Jesus was called to do. I'm going to tell you this. Every time you take a step without hearing the voice of God and being guided by God, you're going to be making mistakes. And you're going to wonder, how did I get myself into this? How did I, make, how did I get myself into this? God, I thought you were with me. I thought you loved me. Where are you, God? Do you, do you still answer prayer, God? And God's saying, yeah, I do, but you haven't been listening. This is critical. I think there's a reason why this is the very first, one of the very first stories that we read about in the Gospel of Mark. Because it's critical to your Christian life to understand that you need to be guided day by day, moment by moment in your walk with God. So what does it mean to walk with God? You've heard me say this many times. It means we have a dialogue, we have a relationship where we talk to God and God talks to us. You say, Pastor, I get the point where we talk to God. We call that prayer. But how does God talk to me? I'm glad you asked that question. It's called the Bible. The Bible is God speaking to me. If you want to say that with me, the Bible is God speaking to me. 
Now, next time someone says to you, does God still speak? Your answer is going to be, yes, he does. He speaks to me through his word. God's still in the business of communicating with his people, with his friends. I said earlier that this is a relationship, not, not merely religious observances or rituals. So we're not talking about just sort of be kind to God for 15 minutes every day. We're talking about a lifestyle whereby we walk with God. Paul, in trying to explain this to the Thessalonian believers in the city of Thessalonica, he says this. He says, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, if you want to mark it. We're talking about praying without ceasing is another way it's, it's, it's uh, interpreted, in, I think, in the King James. But the idea is we, we never stop praying. In other words, throughout the course of the day, you're talking to God. So sometimes, folks, now I'm going to just, you know, uh, get myself off the hook and put myself in a bit of a better light. If you see me driving down the street, I looks like, it looks like I'm talking to myself. Uh, I haven't lost it. But it's my practice, especially when I'm driving, to pray and to talk to the Lord. I, I, I do some of my best praying at that time, especially when the traffic is really annoying. God, help me to be a Christian. Help me not to forget that I'm a pastor. Help me, God, not to run across anybody that knows me. <laughs> God, help. It's during that time when I'm in the car and God will bring to my memory people that I love and care for that have a need or a problem. I prayed for many of you throughout the course of the day. And even at night when I wake up at 2 or 3 in the morning and then 5 in the morning and then 7 in the morning or 6 o'clock in the morning... And I'll, I'll, I'll be laying there just not able to go back to sleep, as some of you know what that's like. i just start praying. Start praying for different people. Friends and family and people that I've read about on the prayer chain, this need, that need. My kids, pray for Gloria. Pray for my family, my extended family. I never stop praying. Constantly praying, constantly crying out to God, constantly communicating with him. This is what it means to walk with God. Always rejoicing and always giving thanks to God. Why? Because we belong to Christ. And here's what Jesus promised to everybody. He said, I will never leave you and I'm never going to forsake you. Jesus is with you and me all the time. I want to just share something in closing with you. I want to share with you my own personal walk with God, my own personal devotional life, so that you have an idea what to do. Now, I, here, here's what I know. I know that some of you would say, Pastor, I'd like to have a walk with God, but I don't really know how to do it. Well, I'm going to give you some simple instructions right now. And you're going to find your own groove because everybody knows that no two relationships are alike. My walk with God, my relationship with God is different than your relationship with God. But I can give you some hints. And those of you who are interested in it, I've decided I'm going to have a retreat for anybody here that would like to learn how to have a more intense walk with God, a more intimate relationship with God. We're calling it the Walk with God Retreat. We're going to go away for about 36 hours. I'm going to teach you how to pray and how to read your Bible and how to go deeper in the things of God. The sign-up sheet is in the atrium. You can sign up for that if you like right after the service. But I want to encourage you to do it. It'll be life-changing. What do I do? Well, 
It started when I was in Bible school. We had a missionary in to the college who was a missionary to South America. His name was Joseph Annenby. He was teaching our missiology course, a course on doing missions, cross-cultural ministry, that sort of thing. I have no idea what he was teaching that day. But all of a sudden he stopped, and it was as if he was looking right at me, and he said, I want to tell you straight. He was talking to the whole class, but I felt he was talking to me. He said, if you're not spending an hour a day in prayer and in the Word, there's no way that you are going to make it in the ministry. There's no way that you can be a servant of Almighty God. There's no way that you're going to affect change in this world if you're not spending an hour a day. That was a life-changing moment for me because right after that, I began to go to the men's prayer chapel every night to spend time in the presence of God. And there were a few others in our class that also got the message. So it was interesting that on the graduation day, and this is, nobody was keeping track, nobody was writing down who was there and who wasn't, there was no attendance record, but every one of us who were faithful in prayer in that men's prayer room, every one of us, immediately went into ministry. The rest of the class did not. What do you think happened? Very simply this, is that I was a friend of God. I was walking with God. And God always works through those who walk with him. You've got to walk with God in order to be used by God. That was revolutionary for me. And I began a practice of spending an hour a day with God. Now, I'm going to tell you straight out, it doesn't always work. And I'll tell you what happens when I don't have that hour with God. But when I do have that hour of God, with God, I take time to go through the Bible, paragraph by paragraph. Yes, I read through the Scripture, but I try to take time to go through the Bible, paragraph by paragraph. And I've gone through books of the Bible now. And that's my, this is what I do. I exegete a paragraph. Simply taking a look at one paragraph and letting God speak to me through that one paragraph. And then I write my thoughts on both sides of a piece of paper. And I've been doing that for 30 years. Will anybody ever read those notes? I don't know. I don't really care because it was for me. I made these notes not so that I would have something to preach, but so that I would have my own relationship with God where God speaks to me. Folks, this is God speaking to Alan Duncalf based on the truth that I read from his word every day. When I've done that, I spend some time in prayer. Some of you may or may not know it, but I am a Pentecostal. I do believe in speaking in tongues. And so for a while, I'll spend some time praying in tongues, and then I'll, I'll start praying the Lord's Prayer. You say, just run through it? Well, no, not quite just run through it. Here's what I do. I begin by praying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I take a moment just to praise God and to thank him that he's my father, to thank him that I am his son. Do you know that the Lord's Prayer is an outline? It's an outline to help you pray. And so this is a time just to praise him, to thank him for, for the relationship that I have with him. That he loves me, that he's merciful, he's kind to me, he's forgiving. And that he will always be my father and I will always be his son. And then I move on to thy kingdom come. And during that time of praying for thy kingdom come, I'm praying that God's kingdom will come to this church and to the hearts and the individuals that go to this church. I'm praying that God will use each of you to, to bring God's kingdom to your friends and your family. I'm praying for God's kingdom to come to this community. I'm praying that God's kingdom would come to Burundi and to Zambia and to different parts of the world and to, to Costa Rica, the, the places that we've ministered to. I'm praying that God's kingdom and the power of that kingdom would touch lives. 
And some of you, I, you've asked me to pray for family members that don't know Christ. And there's some of you I've been praying for for years, your, your family members. I'm waiting for the day when I'm going to hear, hey, he finally gave in. I believe God's kingdom will come to that one. And then I pray, God, let thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray for my children. I pray for their future. I pray for the, for the people that they're going to marry. I pray for Gloria, that God will keep her safe and give her strength at work. I pray for the staff. I pray for the pastors here. I pray for the elders. I pray for the different people in the congregation who've got difficulties and struggling. I'd spend time praying for you. I pray, God, that God's will would be done. I pray for myself, that God would help me to be a good pastor, and, and so on and so forth. And then I move on to the next part. I say, God, give us this day our daily bread. And I pray that God would provide for this church and provide for the Duncap family, provide for some of you who are in need. But remember this, Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by what? But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so I say, God, let the spiritual food touch the hearts of those that I minister to. And God, speak to my heart and show me something from your word that will transform me. Because it's not just material provision that I need, but I need spiritual provision as well. And then I pray, God, forgive me my sins. I forgive those who sin against me. Yes, your pastor prays that God would forgive him because I do fail. I know it's a terrible shock for some of you, but I have to pray for forgiveness because I'm not perfect and I don't pretend to be perfect. I need God's healing and his forgiveness in my life as well. Every time I come to that, there's somebody that comes to mind, somebody that maybe is annoying me, somebody that's an irritation or whatever, and I've got to say, God, forgive me. And God does. Can I just remind everybody, if there's anybody in your life you're not forgiving, then God's not forgiving you. Just, just a note. And then I pray, God, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Recognize that Jesus is my shepherd. That's my devotions. That's my time alone with God. Sometimes I don't have the time to go through all that because of extenuating circumstances. Here's what I do. I've got a little, little devotional called My Utmost for His Highest. This is a little book I guarantee will transform your life. It's, it, you really can't just plow through it. You've got to really think about what it's saying. I would recommend that you get that. We make sure that everybody has a copy of Our Daily Bread. It's great. But can I just remind everybody of this? By the way, what we do is when we're on vacation, our family reads that together, get glory to read it while I'm driving, and, and uh, I don't read it while we're driving. We read through it, and we explain it, we talk about it. Can I just say this? Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to teach us, to speak to us. So some of you, you've only ever done a devotional book. You've only ever done the daily bread. You know what? Good, do it. But make sure you take time to read the Word of God. Because the Holy Spirit will do this for you. The Holy Spirit, as you're reading that scripture verse, will actually speak to you. One of the things that I've told you to do is read through a chapter a day and with a, with a pen and with a ruler, underline that verse that jumps out to you, that speaks to you. Just before the second service, Scott Moyer said to me, Pastor Allen, when I started doing that, it changed everything. I was going to get Scott to come up here and tell you that, but there's not enough time. Scott, way to go. It It works. 
Take your Bible, take your pen, take your ruler, underline that verse, and then ask God to make it part of your life and the way you live your life. My, uh, my grandfather, I'm going to close with this, my grandfather, 92 years old at the time, getting ready for bed, I was staying at their place, and I noticed my grandpa had a little purple Gideon's Bible. It's only about yay big, mm-hmm. small print. And I said to Grandpa, hey, Grandpa, um, what is, what's your practice? How do, you, how do you walk with God? What's your practice? He said this. He says, Alan, I generally, that's what he used to say generally all the time, I generally read a chapter of the Bible every night, And then I pray. And he said, if I can't do that, then there's something wrong with me. This is a 92-year-old man, grade 3 education, reading the King James Version of the Bible. If I can't read a chapter a day and pray, there's something wrong with me. My grandparents had a massive, massive impact on my life. Two of the godliest people that I knew as a child, and they set for me an example of what it means to walk with God. I wonder how many of you are making an impact on your family, on your friends, on the people you work with because you walk with God. I want you to take this really seriously. You know, just before I came out, before the first service, it was like literally at 9.30, I I caught Heather and I said, Heather, you know what? I just feel that God is laying something on my heart. I, I really feel that I need to provide an opportunity for this congregation to get alone with me so I can teach you how to have devotions. I can teach you how to have a walk with God. I really, really pray that you will start getting really serious about developing this new habit, about developing new grooves in your brain, that you'll establish these new habits to replace the old habits that are literally destroying you and your marriage right now. It's time for you to start doing what God called you to do. Not because he wants to make life miserable for you, but because he loves you and he wants you to have a great life. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you right now for your, for your word that shows us so many examples of people who walked with you. And God, what you did in the life of David and Noah and Enoch, Abraham, Jesus. God, you want that for us. I pray, God, that everyone here would take seriously this new habit. If they've been lax, they've been lazy, God, it's not with condemnation or with judgment, but with with a gentle prodding of the Holy Spirit that you remind us to get back to that place of establishing a habit. And God, we know for sure that when we establish this habit, this is when you begin to speak to us. And this is when we begin to really get to know your heart. And we begin to experience what some people would call the supernatural. God, our hearts are craving something more than what this world has to offer. God, we know you want to speak to us. We know you want to transform us. So God, by your spirit, enable us to walk with you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said it. Say to the person beside you, go walk with God.